Hi, everybody. This is Stefan Molyneux from Free Domain Radio. Hey, are you concerned about rape culture? I know I am. Uh, I am uh, the father, of course, to a lovely daughter and want to make sure that she can sail through the world and sail through life with as few impedances, to put it mildly, as possible. Somebody else on the planet also concerned with rape culture, Tony Bugle of the um, activist group Marius, which is Mothers Against Radical Islam and Sharia. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time today, Tony. You're welcome. So Thanks. let's start off with something that is startling to people, and it involves the number million. I wonder if you can uh, tell us uh, how many people, uh, how many girls, um, according to your calculations and statistics, uh, are suffering from rape culture in the UK. Uh, there's been over a million predominantly white girls that have been targeted. There were Sikh girls targeted, um, but there's been over a million predominantly white girls that have been targeted, groomed, raped, trafficked, tortured. That is a shocking, shocking statistic, all the more so because we don't see that really reflected in the mainstream media, which seems to spend an inordinate amount of time making up rape, rape accusations against non-whites, you know, in terms of what goes on in the Duke Lacrosse case and what went on uh, at the University of Virginia and, and other things. So this is a million predominantly white girls groomed or raped by Pakistani men, mostly in the UK. Where is the media in all of this? Uh, is, is it connecting with the people's outrage about this at all? Well, no, the media have a tendency to want to shut you down the minute you speak out. And I will say that it's, it's wholly, it's, it's in England. I mean, it has stretched to Wales and Scotland, but the majority has been in England. Um, and unfortunately, the media don't want to touch it. The media don't want to engage with it and when they do report on it they do want to opt out of using the word muslim that that seems to really stick in their throat they just don't want to say it i see asian from time to time which is seems to be more uh obfuscating than clarifying to put it mildly all the time they will say asian all the time which is, is highly offensive actually when you think about it we've got sikhs hindus we've got vietnamese we've got chinese we've got japanese these people are asian and these people are not in mass raping predominantly white girls. They're not I'm not saying you don't get rapists in all creeds and colours. Of course you do. But when you look at the mass problem, and often these, these Muslim rape gangs have a tendency to work within families, so it's uncles, brothers, cousins. So there there's always seems to be a family connection. Even with the recent case that came out in the last couple of days in Rotherham, um, a guy called Mohammed Shafiq, who... I debated with on Twitter and he blocked me. Um, he tried to kind of say, well, you know, girls are over-sexualized and they wear padded bras. Well, I don't care if they're walking around butt naked. You don't have the right to rape them. But there's all, But he ended up where two of them were distant relatives to him. So there always seems to be a connection to relatives, or often, not always, but often. Now, one of the biggest events occurring in the world, um, at least over the last couple of years, maybe even stretching back a generation, is the importation or the immigration of Muslim, uh, a lot of men, of course, so some, some women as well, into Western countries and cultures. And when I began to look into Islam as a belief system, because I think to characterize it, uh, you, you, I think, of, are with me on this. To characterize it as a religion is not particularly accurate. It's like calling communism an economic system when it is actually a system of world domination, at least as far as communism goes. When I started to look into Islam, uh, you know, the religion of peace and, and all of the things that I'd been told about it, 
Um, I was fairly shocked at the ethical foundations and some of the moral standards within Islam. I wonder if you could help my listeners and watchers understand some of the more challenging aspects of Islam, at least, I mean, in and of itself, but compared, comparatively with its integration into the West. The, the problem is there is no integration. And the few that, when you've got like your second and third generation um, immigration coming into the country, what you, the way I look at it, I, I try to simplify things as much as possible. So I look at it this way. When you look at Afghanistan, you have the Baki Bowsy boys, little boys dressed to look like little girls who are then raped by Muslim men. You go to Pakistan, there is a massive rape epidemic in Pakistan of little boys as young as eight years old being raped by up to 30 men at a time. Now, if women in Islam are seen as being worth less than half the value of a man, then you can guarantee a Western woman is seen as being worth less, full stop. So when you've got an open border policy such as we've got and a mass immigration problem coming into the country, what you end up with, unfortunately, is a rape culture. And that's what we've seen. And, and when Cologne happened, everybody was sort of going, oh, this is terrible. This has been happening in England and the UK for many, 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 many years. Um, I myself was, um, as I, you probably know, I, I survived rape. I was raped when I was 15. They weren't Muslims who raped me. However, it did force me into a position of being homeless on the streets where a young girl who was only 12 years old that had been forced onto um, drug abuse and then pimped out by Pakistani men. Now, I'm 47 years old, and back then I was 15. So it goes back much further than people realise it goes. And this is one of the problems that we're seeing is that we're looking at historic cases and that we must look at historic cases, but it's still happening. Most of these men are still walking free. We've got police officers afraid to address the issue. So when you've got areas, and we talk about no-go zones, and it's not like they've got big signs up that go, look, this is a no-go zone and you can't come here. What they do have is areas where it wouldn't be safe for someone like me who has the opinions that I have to walk down that street safely. It's not safe for Muslim women who choose not to wear a hijab to walk down those streets safely. It's not safe for anybody to walk down those streets safely. So there are no-go zones in the UK. So the integration, is there is no integration. There is a separate segregation. They keep themselves apart completely. Right. What are some of the marriage and sexual practices condoned within Islam that you feel are the most incompatible with Western values? What is polygamy for a start? Um, if, if, if a man can take four wives, um, what they tend to do in this country is, and, and I'm not saying all Muslims, but the fact is it is happening, um, they will marry a woman, they will put her into a, they move into a house, then they'll get another house which they're going to buy, they will then move their Sharia wife into that one and then they'll get another one. But that wife won't work. She'll claim benefits as a single person. That single person's benefit is paying the mortgage. So actually, he's not paying the mortgage. Every taxpayer is paying that mortgage. So again, you've got this abuse. Now, if I marry two men, it's bigger me, I'll go to prison. But we're going to say, well, it's cultural. And I'm, I've just made a very quick video sort of, sort of trying to say, it might be cultural, and maybe in your country that culture is acceptable, but this is the UK. In this country, that's called bigamy. But we're, our government, our politicians 
on making allowances for these practices because they're saying, well, we have to be culturally accepting. I say, no, they need to be culturally accepting to this country and adjust to our culture. And you had recently talked about the age at which, um, at least in Islam, uh, at least within certain sections of Islam, the age at which you can get married and also the sexual practices that are permissible with regards to children. Yeah, well, unfortunately, in the Hadith, there is a, a thing, I can't remember the, the Islamic name for it, but basically it's known as thying, which means you can marry a child, a very young child. You can't penetrate her vaginally. However, you can place your penis between her thighs and bring yourself up between her thighs. That is a practice which is in the Hadith. Um, we've also got the fact that you can marry a child so long as they, they the way they look at it is, if she's hit maturity, i.e. if she's having periods. So if she's having periods, as far as they're concerned, she's a woman. And we have had undercover people that have picked up in our imams prepared to marry girls as young as 12 in this country. Right. The growth of Sharia courts and the implementation of Sharia law is something that is also not generally discussed in the media but I think, as you've pointed out, uh, it's uh, becoming relatively prevalent in certain areas of England. Uh, it's more prevalent than people can ever imagine. There are over 100 Sharia courts operating in the UK. They claim they deal with arbitration and mediation. Um, but because I give support to Muslim women too, um, trying to get the media to cover one particular lady that I've been given support to for the last three years whose husband abused her. Um, he would make her eat at his feet. He refused to sleep with her when they were married because he said that she was a filthy British kufar. He used her just to get a marriage visa. Um, she was abused verbally. He took her money. He took her mother's jewellery. He took everything. Left her still married in the eyes of English law, but divorced her using Sharia law. Went back to Pakistan where he already had a wife that she didn't know about. So again, we've got this abuse of Muslim women, and that goes unnoticed. And when you've got imams telling women who are being beaten, well, you know, you must have displeased your husband, and you must have done this, and you must have done that. Well, go back, and you need to work it out and bring your husband here. Well, that's not acceptable either. Baroness Cox, um, she has a parliamentary bill at the moment, which is addressing uh, the issues of Sharia in the UK. Um, and just trying to get it through the House of Lords and into the House of Commons to get it ready in the House of Commons so they can actually have votes on it is proving we really am to battle for it. We really are am to battle for it. And, and I, I have so much admiration for this woman, 78 years old, and puts me to shame energy-wise, that's for sure. Um, but Sharia is a massive issue. And we've, I've got women who it's not safe for them to be out at a certain time of night. They live in a, a, a Muslim area, which is predominantly Muslim. It's not safe for them to be out after a certain time because Muslim men will then beat them or abuse them because they shouldn't be out at that time of night alone. Well, if they leave the house without a male relative, that can also be a problem as well, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And because she was divorced, this particular lady was divorced using Sharia, but she's actually still married in the eyes of English law. Um, at Christmas, she, she she rang me up. She was very upset. 
and members of the community that she lives in had actually approached her and said, if you were my daughter, I would advise you kill yourself because of the shame. So there are Muslim women, and I, I do believe that Muslim women or Muslim girls are being raped, but they're shamed into silence. So, well, and I think if I if I remember rightly, you needed uh, you need four male witnesses in order to even be able to bring a rape charge if you're a Muslim woman against a Muslim man. And of course, uh, generally, uh, if there are men around, who that number of men around, they'd likely be participating, not offering uh, themselves up as witnesses after the fact. Well, you kind of have two problems there. One, you must produce four male witnesses to rape. However, even if you produce four male witnesses to rape, you're still in there as committed adultery. So therefore, a woman, a Muslim woman, she really can't win either way. Because if she goes to court with it, well, you still had sex outside of your marriage, even though you were raped, it's irrelevant. So therefore, you have that shame. And if you can't produce four male witnesses, well, then you must be lying about rape. You must have then had sex outside of marriage, therefore more shame. Now, in the UK at the moment, we don't have stoning. But as we, we all know, in Islamic countries, women who commit adultery are stoned to death. They are dug out holes, they're dug into grounds. And men um, stand them, stone them to death. And it just makes you wonder how long before we start seeing that in a country like, you know, the UK. The big picture I've always found to be somewhat confusing with regards to this uh, whole system. What do you think happened to the British elan, the British spirit, the British courage, you know, this is the world, of course, that, that took on, uh, this is the country that took on a good chunk of the world in the Second World War and uh, has, uh, you know, the sun never set on the British Empire at one point. What do you think has happened to make the British people so terrified to assert any of the hard-won British values of tolerance and um, equality before the law and uh, freedom of speech and so on? What has happened to take the spine out of the British soul to this degree. Well, the weird thing is that, that I mean, I, I don't class myself as British. I'm English. I'm an English Brit because that's the one thing that we are being slowly stripped of. We can't call ourselves English. That That's a no-no. Um, but political correctness, which has been drummed into us to such an extent, this leftist agenda teaching that's been drummed into us to such an extent that we we are frightened to say anything because somebody will call us a racist. They will call us a fascist, a Nazi, a bigot. These are the words that nobody really wants to be called. Um, but they are now becoming words that people like myself kind of go, do you know what? The minute you use that word, you've just lost the debate. You've lost the debate because it's the only thing you had left to throw at me. Because what I'm saying makes sense and they don't like that. So I think that the people are actually, they have a backbone but the minute you say anything, we're the ones getting arrested. We're the ones getting put in prison for being Islamophobic. Another made-up word. You create a word to dumb down anybody with an opinion. And that's what people don't understand how our politics works. But it is our politician. Our police didn't act because they feared the word racist. I know for a fact that we, we put in a freedom of information uh, request because I'm standing for police and crime commissioner in Bedfordshire. And the reason I chose to do that is because I'm tired of political correct policing. I want everybody, I don't care what race, creed or colour you are, everybody treated equally within UK law. And the UK law being permitted to be used to the full extent of the law without 
making special special sort of um, treatment of somebody. And what I found was quite shocking, and they call them guidelines, but guidelines really mean tools. And the guidelines are things like if you wish to search a Muslim's house that you believe to be involved in a crime, you must first contact the imam. Uh, No, I'm not going to contact the imam. If I believe you're involved in a criminal activity, I'm going to go into your house and search, and I don't really care if it offends you. The police are, one of the other guidelines is that they must put coverlets on their shoes so as not to walk in with their shoes uncovered. Uh, No, if I believe you're involved in a crime, I'm not going to do that either. Even to the extent of our dogs, if we have sniffer dogs for drugs and and bombs, etc., they want us to put booties on our dogs. Uh, No, that shouldn't be happening either. Uh, They're not permitted to touch a religious book um, because that could be highly offensive. They must wait outside and give time for the woman to cover herself because she may be in a different state of address, i.e. she may not have a hair covering on. I don't really care, quite frankly, if that person is, there's a possibility that they're involved in extremism or they're wanting for rape or they're wanting for terrorism, then I don't really care if it offends the people in that household. The police need to be able to do their job without being hindered. And right now, our police are hindered with guidelines that people have put into place because of political correctness. It's ridiculous. Mm. One of the stories that I think is the most shocking, I know it's not necessarily the most prevalent, but it's the most shocking and it hasn't really made it across the pond to North America much, but I'd really like it if you could talk a little bit about uh, the Rotherham situation. I don't even know what to call it. I mean, it's such a heinous multi-decade situation. I wonder if you could help bring people up to speed on the effects of political correctness in failure to protect thousands of uh, English girls from unbelievable levels of predation. 1,400, and the number is still growing. Um, 1,400 girls were raped, trafficked and abused, tortured and when they did go to the police, I mean, for example, I, I have a young girl, I say young girl, you kind of still think of them as being a young girl because that's what's taken from you when you're raped, is your youth. You are literally stripped of it immediately there and then. Um, but I know when she contacted, her, her family contacted the police when she was 14 and the police turned around and said, well, she's a known prostitute. She'll grow out of it. She's 14 you can't be a prostitute when you're 14. You can be prostituted out. She would be taken to rooms where she would be beaten with chains and she was um, urinated on. She wasn't permitted to get off of the bed. They would get men, as many as eight or nine men at a time, would line up and come in and take turns on her. They would even ring their wives while they were raping her. And... Um, she missed a lot of school. The school did nothing when she tried to talk to school. Nobody questioned it. Uh, care homes, there was a lot of care homes. There were parents who actually put their children in care to try and get them away from these gangs. And the care homes permitted these people to pull up outside the care homes, take these girls away. These girls would be trafficked left, right and centre, be brought back. They would be battered and bruised and nobody would batter an eyelid. Nobody did anything. They totally and utterly ignored the entire situation 
And when Rotherham finally broke, it was only the beginning. It really was the tip of the iceberg. Birmingham, I believe, now has hit 600 and is still growing. Uh, Stevenage, Telsley, uh, Rochdale, uh, Oxford. I've got a whole... Actually, I do have a list of, so far, 30 different places in England where the girls were trafficked and groomed uh, what one particular girl started to self-harm quite badly, thinking it would put them off. Uh, it didn't. One of them took a blade and started to cut her whilst he was raping her. Um, another girl who thought that if she overate and got herself to be obese that they would leave her alone, ended up trapped in her home at 27 stone. And one of the men who raped her uh, the son would come down, the little boy would come down and scream abuse through a letterbox. When she called the police, her advice was close the curtains and shut the windows. That's the advice she was given. And is it the, uh, were the police that scared of political correctness? Or do you think, and I don't know if there's any proof of this, or do you think that maybe orders came from higher up to keep this information um, suppressed for fear of the reaction of, I guess, the non-Pakistani population in England? Um, I believe that we've got politicians in certain positions of authority who are abusing that authority to dumb down the truth. I believe our police force are being told... Look, I've got a guy on Twitter who's an ex-UK response officer, and he was telling me that they would make... Muslims would make fake 999 calls, which is our emergency services. And as a response police officer, he would go out. Now, they would then launch bricks and rocks in. And the police said, no, 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 don't, don't arrest them in case it causes racial tension. Huh. So, you know, our police, and the bobby on the beat isn't necessary. The, the problem is, you get a bobby on the beat, we call them a bobby on the beat. This, this is your, your PC, your police constable. And what happens is he turns up in the house of a girl and he goes in with size nine feet where he's got no tact, no diplomacy. And these girls straight away go, walls go up, they're not going to talk to him. So our our police officers do need to to be taught how to address these situations without a doubt. But then the higher up you go, suddenly they're going, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because they might say we're racist. I think we've got to get to the point where we get... And, and it, this actually is an injustice to many Muslims who don't want political correctness either. But when you hand somebody a tool to use against people, well, then you've just handed them the opportunity for these girls to be ignored further. Well, I'm sure that Muslims don't want these pedophile sex gangs around their kids either, so I don't think it's doing anything other than kicking the can down the road to the point where if there is going to be conflict, it's better to have it verbally and sooner uh, using preventative measures rather than waiting for bricks to start flying and people, people's houses to start being set on fire. You know, if, if you can't have reasonable evidence-based conversations about social problems but repress and repress them to the point where people blow up, then I think you are going to be in a much, much more serious issue than if you'd allowed an open discussion of these issues ahead of time the problem you've got though is when you do try to have an open discussion again out comes the race card the fascist the nazi the bigot all of those cards are are brought into play and when you say the word muslim they will straight away say why are you bringing my faith into it and i keep having to say to them no muslim is what you are islam is your faith i'm not bringing your faith into it 
But you cannot deny it. In London alone, just London, 27% of the inmates are Muslim. They are in there for drugs, violence, rape. Now, if Muslims, according to the government, are 4% of the population, 27% in London alone are in prison. That's a massive, massive percentage. And, and that's with even, sorry to interrupt, but that's even with the shield of the political correctness and the police being relatively unwilling to pursue particular demographics. That's the result, even with that reduction in numbers. Yes. Yes. And I'm, I mean, I did, somebody did say me if I, I, I should have pulled them up, actually. I do have the statistics for the country as a whole. And the, 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 the stats are just they're staggering. They are absolutely staggering. And yet, I believe, actually, that the key to all of this lies with Muslim women. A lot of Muslim women that have come to this country now, they, they don't speak English, they don't understand English, they don't understand UK law. So they're living their life under Sharia. They fear speaking out because their own communities do turn on them. Whereas I say, well, actually, let's all join forces then. Let's all stand together, one voice, and say no more political greatness. Because it's not helping them and it's not helping you and it's sure as hell not helping the girls that are being targeted and raped on a daily basis. Oh, to me, it seems like the kind of smoke that you would put up to cover a military operation insofar as you cloud people's thinking and language and made them, make them averse from facts so that criminals can have more free reign in a society. To me, it seems like a sort of criminal fog to cover brutality rather than any rational uh, discourse. Sorry, that was a bit of a, <laughs> an aside rant, but uh, it I is like very science. frustrating. I like it when you take it off on a different level. See, one of the other things that really frustrates me, we see it all the time, I get it all the time, where are the feminists on this? Where are the feminists? I want to make something really clear here because I class myself as a true feminist. By that, I know that you're man, you're male, I'm female. I know we're different. I actually quite embrace those differences. I like the fact we're different, right? It makes us unique in our own way. I don't need to be a man. I'm equal to you as a person or as a human being. You're equal to me, but we are different. We think differently. We act differently. We're made differently. We're created differently. That's not a bad thing. These women who claim to be feminists are Nazis. They are feminazis. They are silent on the issue of Sharia law. They are silent when it comes to this, the grooming gangs. They say nothing. But when they say, where are the feminists? I'm going like this. Oh, hello, I'm here. Hello, stop paying attention to the feminists. Let's take the word away from them. Because actually, we had the suffragettes. The suffragettes fought for our rights as women. And in this country, the suffragettes, I know that in America, you do have a completely different problem when it comes to the feminists out there. I mean, as Stephen Crowder said to me, you know, there isn't a rape culture, so they have to invent one because there isn't one, including something called Mattress Girl, some girl that went around the college campus. In England, we need the voice of women. And we need every man to say, actually, I believe in the rights of women. I'm a feminist too. When you take that word away from them and say actually we're not going to give you the rights over it we're not going to let you abuse it we're actually going to show you what it's like to be a true feminist then we have more power we can actually make real differences does that make sense it really does and um i also wanted to mention something else which is i uh, what i picture when i when i look at this particular ideology and and how it manifests again not in all Muslims, of course, but those who have most fidelity to the original 
Islamic texts, um, how it manifests. And I was thinking, okay, let's, let's just say your average white group got together and started promulgating and putting out the kind of ideas that are contained in the Quran and in the Hadiths. What would people's reactions be to the kind of ideas that are in core to certain Islamic texts if they were put out, promulgated, and practiced by white people? I think everyone would go completely insane, and rightly so, because there's a lot of untoward, to put it as nicely as possible, stuff in, in Islam. And so it seems to me, I, I can't, maybe you can help me with this, I can't figure out how to process this without thinking of it as pretty virulent anti-white racism. In other words, if you're not white, we're going to cover it up. But if, if you are even remotely going in that direction and you are white, we're going to scream verbal abuse at you until your professional, your family, whatever life it is, is completely destroyed. How is that not anti-white racism manifesting itself in this kind of verbal virulence? Oh, no, it really is. I mean, that, that's exactly what it is. And the, the, the problem you've got is... If you happen, see, I didn't choose to be white, I just am. I was born that way by my birth parents. It wasn't an option. I didn't get to choose the colour skin that I had when I come out and go, well, actually, I'll have that one. It's a much nicer shade. There was no option. <laughs> so the fact that I was born white, is that, and, and people say to me all the time about my white privilege, I'd like you to show me where this million girls' white privilege was, because I'm pretty certain they didn't have any. So I don't believe that in my opinion, you can be... I know many people who are racist towards whites, including white people racist towards whites too. And the problem is, if I was to stand and have an argument with a black person and I abused them and mentioned the colour of their skin, they went into the police station, I would be rightly so arrested for being a racist. But if he stood there and I get on a regular basis, I get called a white whore, white trash white bitch. Now, if he said that to me and I went to place that, well, he's just called me a white whore. Well, it's a bit offensive. Well, no, it's a bit racist. No, 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 it, it's offensive. No, it's racist because actually I happen to be a member of the white race. I didn't choose it. I just am. But nobody ever wants to acknowledge that there is racism from both quarters. I see in America, you've got all this black lives matter, black lives matter. Well, of course, black lives matter. But white lives matter too. All lives matter. You don't have anymore this special privilege card that says, actually, you can go around and say black lives matter, like that's okay for you to say that. But I've, the minute I go, I'm a proud white woman, you're a racist, you're a racist. I'm not a racist, I'm just a very proud woman who happens to be white. That is what I am. It's, it's not my fault that nature demands paler skin when you have less sunlight, you know, to get your vitamin D. That's just the way that nature has worked, and uh, that's just the way things evolve. Um, and this idea of white privilege to me has been ridiculous for, for many, many years. Because, I mean, just one tiny example, of course, is that if uh, there's any questionable circumstances around a crime where a black person or a person of uh, non-white color is uh, uh, acted against in a criminal manner by a white person, it's almost immediately cast as a racist hate crime. However, when specifically targeted, when, when minorities specifically target white people, it's n almost never put forward as a hate crime, as racially motivated, even if they're screaming, kill whitey at the top of their lungs. I don't know, is it a cultural misunderstanding? Were they just hungry? Uh, were they, you know, maybe had too much sugar that day? It's always explained away. And it really gets tiresome 
to, to see this constant bias. I think that the, the promotion of white privilege is just a way of elevating white people in people's minds so that they can abuse them with impunity. We're also, they, they use our history as justification for the, the proverbial constant guilt trip. Because, what well, you had slavery. You had slavery. Well, go back a little further in history. There were Barbary slaves. They were white and they were sold to Arabs and black people. Does that mean I should go to that country and say, well, actually, you owned white slaves. You own me. No. Our history is tainted. So is every country. There's not a country in the world that isn't tainted in one way, shape, form or another with blood on its hands. But do you know what? It wasn't me. I didn't do it. it. It is history. We have to look at it that it is history and we cannot change what was. We can only change what is and what will be. But while you want to keep holding my history over my head like a sword of Damocles, what you're actually doing is justifying everybody else's actions that are abhorrent. That's what you're doing. You're, you're giving them permission to behave in a deplorable manner. There was um, three Muslim girls attacked one white girl. Um, they dragged her from, from nowhere. They, they were out one night. She was with a boyfriend. They attacked her in the most vicious attack. And the judge let the girls walk free because as Muslim girls, they weren't used to alcohol. But it wasn't put down as being a race, hate, crime, even though they were screaming at the top of their voice, let's kill the white bitch. But apparently that's not racist. No, well, of course, and the issue of slavery, uh, there's an old saying that says no good deed goes unpunished in this world. And... Uh, whatever people might think of sort of white Western Christian Europeans, uh, that they were the group that ended slavery around the world, spending hundreds of thousands of lives and untold trillions of dollars to buy back slaves, to, to intercept slave ships. They had a worldwide mission to end the ancient and ever-present practice of slavery. And the one group that ended slavery worldwide is now the only group blamed for the existence of slavery. White Western Christians had the least amount of slavery of almost any culture throughout history, worked the very hardest to end the practice of slavery, liberating billions of people around the world. And now the only group that's ever blamed for slavery is the group that had it the least and worked the hardest to end it. And that, to me, is just anybody who makes that kind of argument just shows uh, anti-white bigotry and a complete manipulation of history. And it also means that they haven't looked at history as a whole. I, mean, I actually did have a Bangladeshi lady said to me, we were, we were talking, Muslim lady, and I was having a, a nice conversation. And she said, I said to you, you know, you have every right to be a proud black person, a proud brown person, but I want the right to be able to be a proud white person without it meaning the word racist. She said, well, but are you? I went, pardon? She went, but are you really? Would you really be proud to be white? I went, I said, are you, are you serious? She went, yeah, yeah, no, I'm serious. She said, tell me why you'd be proud to be white. I said, I'll give you one word. And it is the suffragettes. The suffragettes were actually responsible for getting slavery abolished by boycotting the sugar industry. Now, a lot of people don't know that because if you look at the, stand, the statue of William Wilberforce in London, if you look behind him, it's a woman crouched down. But back then, women were not seen in equal value to men. So the accolade went to William. It didn't go to the suffragettes. But if you look at the history, it was so actually, yes, we had slaveries. We had slaves. And, and of course, that's abhorrent. But we also took white Western women that were slashed up with knives. They were attacked. They were beaten. 
They went on hunger strikes. They did everything. These women stood up and said, no more. So actually, be grateful that there were white Western women prepared to stand up at any cost. And I guess that's what Maria sees. It's women prepared yeah, to... Yeah, I mean, um, just off the top of my head, you know, ancient Greek philosophy, the invention of uh, logic, separation of church and state, equal, equal rights for women uh, and minorities, um, uh, liberalizing a lot of the world's trade, the free market, capitalism, uh, a lot of the great arts and inventions and so on were created by white Western European uh, and Southern European uh, peoples. Yeah, I mean, objectively, I sort of look at like a space alien just looking at the world, right? Make sure there's no particular personal investment. I mean, I have to create my own value and not assume it's inherited genetically. But yeah, looking across the world, uh, white people have done some wonderful things for the world and they've done some, some tough things for the world. I think on the balance, the world is a lot better of a place because white people have been inventive and creative uh, throughout history and there's uh, wonderful contributions from Asian and other countries as well and other cultures. But the idea that, you know, just white is bad and everything else is good is so flagrantly racist that anybody who would hold that position has just excluded themselves from any kind of objective or rational conversation. But it just seems there's this big giant club. You know, if you uh, I made an analogy in a show the other day that if you have a bunch of kids around a vending machine and they figure out, well, if you hit the vending machine, boom, just in this spot, it'll spit out free chocolate bars. And the way that society generally works is if you scream epithets, racial epithets at white people, white people back away and give you stuff in order to make you go away. So it's just like a bunch of kids hitting a vending machine to get free candy. All it means is the candy's going to run out quicker, but that's a topic for another time. But white guilt is, is the fundamental racism, I think, that white people are still um, guilty of, and it is the racism towards their own race, uh, where in, in any dispute between a white person and a non-white person, the white person is at fault, must always give way, and usually owes reparations. But white people who internalize that uh, it's like the self-hating Jew. Uh, they're just uh, racist towards themselves, and that is uh, unjust uh, to the um, successes of their ancestors, uh, to the amazing things that white culture has brought to the world. And it is incredibly destructive, not only to white people, but to everyone around as well. It's a very, very pathological and dysfunctional interaction, and white people just need to grit their teeth and stop attacking themselves because it's, just, it's bringing the whole world uh, to a standstill, I think. Well, I think it, it, it has brought the whole world to its knees to a degree. And I do think that there are, the worst of it is that there are, I have, I, obviously I have many different friends of all different creeds, of all different colours, of all different religions, of all different denominations. And when you speak to them and you say, do you have an issue with me referring to you as a black person? No, don't care. Do you have a problem if I call myself a white person? No, it doesn't bother me. When you talk to your friends, do you say, oh, my friend Tony... Uh, and they go, oh, sorry, oh, she's a friend of mine. And you get into a conversation. Do you feel uncomfortable saying, oh, by the way, she's white? And you went, well, I wouldn't feel a bit uncomfortable. I went, why? Why? I'm very proud to be white. You should be very proud to be black. We should be proud of who we are and the skin we are born into. It's not a choice. We shouldn't be embarrassed to be able to say the word brown and black and white. We are just a, I like a multicolored country. A multicultural country, I don't like. There are cultures that do not fit. And unfortunately, with the open border policy we have, the culture coming into our country, into Germany, it doesn't fit. It does not fit. And if they're not going to adapt our culture, they shouldn't be here. Well, it, it is the old question which those who are interested in diversity always avoid, which is if you value diversity... How do you value intolerant cultures? If you value diversity, how on earth are you supposed to evaluate cultures that are very hostile 
towards diversity. And that is, uh, that is the big challenge. So uh, I really want to thank you for your time. Um, and I want to make sure we'll, we'll put links to your organization and its mission below. I strongly recommend to people uh, check it out. I know, of course, that you've taken a lot of bullets for the course that you believe in. And I respect that uh, in, in just about everyone. And uh, I really appreciate uh, the time that you spent today, Tony. A real pleasure to chat. And I hope we can do it again. Absolutely. I look forward to it. Thank you very much for having me on the show. Thank you. <laughs>